Today's Bible reading is from page 1041 of the Church Bibles, from Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 1, on page 1041, that is wrong. Verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of the friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. For which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or, if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Thanks, Joel. There's um, some puzzles here in this passage, aren't there? Uh, Ask for anything you want from God, he will give it to you. Absolutely. Uh, Would you like the Holy Spirit? Just pray for it and God will give you the Holy Spirit. What what does that mean? Uh, God is like a man in a house who's asleep and if you keep knocking on the door, eventually he'll answer your prayers just to get rid of you. Okay? It's all all pretty clear. There are are a few interesting things in this passage, aren't there, uh, for us to to wrestle with. So let me pray that God will help us as we wrestle with it. There's an outline in the leaflet that will give you some idea of where we're heading. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you're a God who uh, speaks to us and thank you that you speak to us about prayer. Uh, But Father, at the end of the day, we know what you're instructing us about is how we speak to you and how we have relationship with you. And therefore, we pray that you will help us Uh, to appreciate your word here today, that it will enliven our hearts and our minds, that we might serve and faithfully please you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Often the the state of any relationship we have is reflected in the way we communicate with one another. So my guess is if I could do a bit of a survey with each of you, as you came in this morning, there were probably a few couples who had, you know, sort of words with each other on the way into a church in the car and there was a little bit of standoff, you know, because that's what happens when you're having a troubling relationship. You sort of turn the other way and there's a bit of a freeze out. Uh, You know that relationships can be a bit like that. Uh, Sometimes our relationships, the communication is a bit of a user thing. You know, you only ever hear from somebody when they want something and uh, you know how that feels when that occurs. Sometimes you're aware of people who have let you down in the past. You know, someone who you've entrusted a secret bit of information to 
who has passed it on to somebody else and they shouldn't have. And that makes you fairly careful about what you tell them in the future because you've lost a level of trust in that person. Uh, sometimes you see a couple who have just started going out together, girlfriend and boyfriend, and uh, they just can't get enough of each other and talk all the time on the phone. And, you know, like it can be like that. There's just sort of that, that sort of uh, endless communication and not necessarily much substance sometimes. Uh, Sometimes communication is based on personality. You know, some of us, when we're nervous and we get into a group, we just talk all the time. We just fill in all the gaps and there's no space for anyone else to jump in because that's the way we're wired. Others of us, because we're nervous and our personality, we just tend to sit back and just watch what's going on. You know, it, a lot of it, our communication is based around situation or circumstance. When we turn here to this section on prayer it takes up a number of those sorts of issues for us in our relationship with God. Uh, if you're a believer, of course, you have a relationship with God through Jesus. How would you rate that relationship with God based on your communication with him? How would you, how would you assess the way your relationship works? Now, you might, you might think, oh, I think it's classified, a bit of a user relationship, you know. God hears from me a lot when I'm desperate. You know, there's a, I'm on my knees and I'm really flat out when things are going tough. Or maybe, um, maybe you have a relationship where you're sort of a functional atheist, even though you're a Christian. You know how that works? Where, you know, what was it, Colin? God is the potentate. Uh, you know, like you, your theology is sort of pretty well ordered. You know, got it all organised. But in practice, you tend to function independently and rarely actually talk to God at all, even though you know that there are certain theological truths that you would hold to. And maybe you're in a situation where you, you've sort of lost confidence in God. You know, there was something that you were desperately crying out to him about, and he didn't answer the way in which you expected him to. And that's left you just wondering, really, you know, what, what God is like and how he responds Maybe it can be a bit like uh, a marriage for some people where you can think back to a time when the communication was good and frequent and warm and you can't quite put your finger on why but, but the relationship has sort of gone into drift and, and you long for something deeper but it, you sort of, maybe you feel like that when it comes to your relationship with God. I want to suggest to you that for most Christians... Normally, prayer has some challenges attached to it. Sometimes they're seasonal, but sometimes they can be constant as well. And it's not surprising because a relationship with God is a relationship with someone you can't see. So communicating with someone you can't actually observe you know, is difficult. You know, often in relationships, we work on body language to give us a lot of information, don't we? Tricky to do that with God because you can't see him. How does prayer work? Do you know what I mean? Like when you're calling upon the God who rules the universe, who is absolutely sovereign and knows everything, uh, where, do your, where do your prayers fit into that grid? You know what I mean? He, he knows everything and can do everything. What does he need you to pray for? He's already got it in place before you even talk. 
So there are puzzles that fit into the, the, the sort of situation as well. So it's not surprising uh, that when Jesus' disciples observe Jesus going off to pray in a certain place, that when he returns, they say to him, you seem pretty good at this. Can you help us? <laughs> like, what can you teach us about how to pray? Because we, we, we sense that there is something that you do well that we can't work out. Let's turn to the passage. Let's have a look and see Jesus as he gives us this, this master class on prayer as he informs us about what's going on. You pick it up, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, they see Jesus praying in a certain place. Now, let me say, this was a common thing for Jesus' followers watching him. If you just went back to the previous chapter, chapter 10, verse 21, we see Jesus at prayer there. You go back to chapter 9, verse 28, Jesus takes a few friends up a mountain to pray. Back in chapter 9, verse 18, Jesus is praying privately. Lord, we see you praying regularly, Teach us to pray just like John taught his disciples. And so Jesus does exactly that. Now, I want you to notice one thing in particular as we looked at this. Notice there is nothing here on logistics, all right? Uh, there is nothing, you know, you've heard mantras like, um, no prayer, no breakfast. You don't pick up any of those sort of things when you observe Jesus here, do you? Uh, the key to prayer is to make sure you have a careful prayer list, you know. Uh, have a book where you write down your... No prayer list points that he's making here. Uh, you really need a decent amount of time in prayer, right? 45 minutes, because the first 20, you're just sort of getting into it, and the last 25 are the productive ones. Jesus doesn't say that, you know. Posture is the key, right? You know that if you want God to answer your prayers, you must be on your knees, right? Nothing about that here. And not even like the place. Jesus prays in a certain place. What certain place was that? It doesn't matter. Okay? Jesus doesn't get caught up on those sort of incidental peripheral semantics. What does he teach us about prayer? Well, he teaches us who we pray to. Father. Uh, I used to be a lawyer and I did a few appearances in court from time to time. When, I, when the, the judge would come in or the magistrate, everyone would stand. Okay? Sign of respect. And uh, when you addressed this, this magistrate or the judge, say, Your Honour. Right? Notice we don't have here, Your Honour, God. He is not the distant God. He is Father. Now, each one of us will have had quite different relationships with our human fathers. Some of those will have been formal. Wouldn't be surprised if there were some here who referred to their father as sir. Huh? Sir. Or uh, there might have been relationships where you had warmth or you didn't have warmth. Or some of us actually who felt fear in the presence of our father. But Jesus says here, you call your heavenly father... You call him Abba. It's a word of deep warmth and intimacy. It's really hard to get a good translation here. Most of the commentators say this is dear daddy, right? If I said to my father, dear daddy, when he was alive, he would have looked at me like, what was going on, you know? Like, I never addressed him. If my kids called me dear daddy, I think they were taking the mickey out of me, you know? Uh, <laughs> you know, like they call me dad. And uh, there's a warmth of relationship that comes with that. But that, that's the point. Uh, the idea of being able to call a Heavenly Father 
dad, not so much a name or a title, it is intimacy. It is intimacy. And my kids are now 27, 28 and 30. And the thing I want them most to know is that I love them deeply and that I'm the only man in the world that they can call dad. It is, it is a privilege. Well, it's a privilege for me, but also there's a privileged relationship here that is deep. Friends, by, by the gospel, by the Lord Jesus Christ, we are brought into this relationship with the one who is Lord of heaven and earth, the one who rules for all eternity, but the one who loves us and gives us status as children, extraordinary freedom, intimacy, favour. You see, prayer at its heart is a wonderful privilege of being brought into a relationship with our, our Heavenly Father. Jesus moves on. Father, uh, what does he teach them to pray for? What are they to ask for? Uh, you've seen uh, those ads on TV where they advertise um, a workout machine. You know, as you head into summer, you want to get your body back into water. So you buy this machine for a certain amount of money and just stand on it. All you do is stand on it. You don't have to do anything. It exercises you. It lifts jiggle every bone in your body and muscle, you know, and eventually, after six weeks, you'll lose 20 kilos and you'll have a six-pack. Right? It's wonderful. Now, that sounds just a little too true, too good to be true. Uh, here, friends, is the secret to prayer, right? Here's the secret to prayer. Look at it with me. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for as we forgive also everyone who sins against us and lead us not to temptation. Right? 11 seconds. Once a day, 11 seconds. Done. All good. I'm thinking that's not what's going on here. But here it is. Just a few words. A few seconds. But as Colin said earlier, Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't mindlessly repeat words. This is not the prayer to say for 15 seconds every day of the rest of your life and you are done. So what is going on here? Friends, this is the framework for prayer. These are the sort of um, the big pillars of what it means to call upon God as your heavenly father. Notice where it starts. Hallowed be your name. It's not language we use today. Again, if my kid said, uh, dearest daddy, I want your name to be hallowed, you know, it just wouldn't quite work, you know. But hallowed be your name. God, let your name be respected and honoured. You see, Jesus starts off and says, you, you call upon God, you have a God-centred view of life and the universe and you want the people around you to know how wonderful your God is. Back in the Old Testament, you see it in a place like Exodus, when Moses in chapter 33, verse 18, he says to God, he says, God, I just want to see your glory. I want to see what you're really, really like. And God responds back to him and says, if I showed you exactly what I was like, 
If you could see that, you would die. <laughs> and, uh, but he says, I will reveal my glory to you so you'll know what I'm like. And then in chapter 34 of Exodus, what God does is he hides Moses in this sort of crack in a rock with, his, with Moses with his back to him. So he can't actually see. And there's a sort of a fog that comes over the place. And then God passes before Moses, even though he can't see him. And God speaks to him about his very character. This is what he says. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Heavenly Father, let people see what you are like in your very nature. And ultimately, of course, we see that in Jesus, the full compassion and mercy and grace of God that is revealed so that we can see it. It's just totally disclosed. This is not some mysterious, unknowable Force. It's not like Star Wars, the force be with you. Right? This, this is the personal God who cares for people and who loves and forgives. God, hello your name. He goes on. Your kingdom come. It's a, a request for God to establish his rule in our world. And of course that happens as God establishes his rule in people's hearts. Uh, as God brings people to himself. Isn't this a wonderful prayer? We pray that God will establish his rule in the hearts of people we know. Uh, Sue and I caught up with um, some family members yesterday, uh, most, most of whom don't know a relationship with God. God, let your kingdom come, let your rule be established in their hearts. Bring them to repentance and faith. Or with the neighbours you think about in your street. Um, we've had a, a new person move into our street recently, uh, Susanna, or Suzanne, Suzanne. And uh, Sue's built up a, a connection with her. And, and Sue's constant prayer is that God's kingdom will be established in her heart. It's the same with your neighbours. God's deep desire for that to occur. And then ultimately, of course, this, this cry that your kingdom come, it's a cry for Jesus to return, to wind up the history of this world, to come as the judge of all the earth. And we pray that as God's people. Come, Lord Jesus, come. That day when every tear is wiped, where every injustice is dealt with, where God establishes his rule, in that final day. Then the focus in this prayer, it changes. Uh, it changes to how we live under the rule of God in a more particular way. Give us each day our daily bread. Probably it's a request to provide what we need for the following day. That's, that's most likely the way in which uh, the prayer flows. It's a recognition that we depend upon God for everything. He takes his hand off this world, it stops spinning. 
He takes his hand off your life, your heart stops functioning, your brain stops operating. The electronic sort of plumbing that happens there just disappears just in the blink of an eye because ultimately we live under the hand of God in this world. Praying like this, give us today our daily bed, reminds us that we are totally dependent upon him for everything. And yet here's the difficulty, because as we live in this world, we're programmed to think the exact opposite. You see, the way we're programmed is to think that we provide for our own needs on a daily basis uh, through the work that we do, through the income we have, through the provision we make for ourselves, through the way in which we plan for the future, as if we controlled it. Right? What a stupidity. And it's only, it's only at certain points that you realise what a folly that is. Uh, it becomes clear when you have an accident or when your health is snatched away in a glance or when death in its finality, when you face up to that truth and it brings uh, the, that heart, the, the knowledge really that things won't continue on as they are. That moment when your self-confidence is just eaten away and you realise you don't have the control you once thought you did. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins like we forgive. Friends, we, we can't stand in the presence of God except by his grace and mercy, except because of what Jesus has done for us by his death for you, his blood shed on your behalf. That's the only way in which we can be forgiven. And then forgiveness of others is dependent upon knowing that truth. Forgiving others is such a hard thing to do. Um, and even when you think you've done it, sometimes it comes back and bites you on the back of the head. You know? uh, but, but you think you've dealt with it. But then the memory comes back. And you know that you need God to keep flooding you with his forgiveness because that deals with the human grudges that you bear against others. We get forgiven when we're undeserved. We, we, we don't merit it. And it's the same for the people around us. We give it on the same basis. Lead us not into temptation. Uh, literally, this is Heavenly Father, help us stand in the time of testing because God never leads you into temptation. So the idea is that God helps you uh, in the times when you are tempted when you're drawn away, you might, be being, might find yourself struggling with temptation right now. A temptation, uh, maybe it's based like it was last week, on the area of greed, the longing for more and more. Uh, because you can't quite see how God will provide your bread for tomorrow. Therefore, you figure you better do it yourself. Or maybe your dreams are more aspirational than that in terms of what you'd love to achieve with finances. It's greed. Or maybe the temptation for you is, is sexually in an area to be tempted. It might be pornography and an addiction in that sort of area or a temptation to stray outside of the boundaries of what God says is appropriate relationally. Maybe it's just ambition. You know, to establish your sense of worth means to achieve certain things so that you'll be recognised. Heavenly Father, give me what I need to stand firm as your beloved child. That's the request. It's a simple prayer, really, isn't it? 
So given what we learn about God here, his nature, given clarity around what to pray for, why wouldn't we do it? Where are the challenges to actually doing it? So you may be puzzled. You may think, I can't quite work out why my prayer life is sort of inconsistent or passionless or bleh. You know, I just don't know. I can't quite work out what is going on at this point. And what Jesus does at this point is he tells a couple of stories to get under our guard, to try and explore what's going on, to reveal the secrets of our hearts. Tells this story, the friend at the door. Uh, the Middle East situation is a context of high hospitality. That's the cultural expectation. And if people dropped in, you didn't have any food, utter embarrassment and shame. All right? So the situation is neighbour, friends dropping on him, late, no food, goes to his neighbour, he's asleep with his kids and knocks on his door and says, I've got a friend who's come, I need some food, please give me some food. Right? That's the context of the request. And the guy who's sleeping says, Nick off! You know, like I'm asleep with my kids. What on earth do you think you're doing? The guy keeps pummeling on the door and he thinks, I am not going to get any peace here at all. Look, and he throws the food out the window. You know, it's a bit like that. You know, he sort of deals with the situation so he can get back to bed with his, um, with his family. Okay. Now, this is a picture of God. Verse hmm. 8. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, this is not saying God is like the neighbour who just wishes you'd nick off. Right? That's not the point that's being made. He is the Heavenly Father. We've already established that. He cares. But the point is, even if a neighbour will do it to get rid of you for convenience sake, just because you pester them, it's a how much more argument. How much more will your Heavenly Father listen to and respond to your prayers. Keep knocking. Keep knocking. He is the Father who cares. Or maybe your question is about whether God can actually deliver. Verse 9. So I say to you, ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And at this point, it seems to promise too much, doesn't it? Too much. Ask for healing? Done. You know? Promotion? Yours. You know? Wealth? Of course. Debt? Dealt with. You know? Anything you want? Not asked, given. No problem at all. But of course, you can't come to that conclusion if you've been reading through what's come before, can you? Because we've already been told how we should be praying, it's in line with what Jesus has already said. That God's name will be honoured. His rule established. That we'll forgive as we've been forgiven. That God will give us our bread sufficient for the, the morrow. That he'll help us to stand when we're tempted. You ask, you seek, you knock for those things. Do you think God won't answer? Of course he will. Of course he will. The context shapes the content of the prayers. Or maybe 
Maybe it's because you think God's just a bit stingy. You know, in your heart of hearts you think, he's just a bit mean. And you might feel that way because sometimes you've asked for something, something that you think is, is good and appropriate. Maybe you've asked for your daily bread and you've been struggling in a major way. Maybe you've asked for healing for someone that you desperately wanted to be restored. And so he tells the story about a father or a comparison. He says, what father, if he has a son who asks for a fish, gives him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? You think your heavenly father's capricious? I've got, I think I've mentioned I've got a three-year-old granddaughter, Lily. I want you to imagine we're heading towards Easter next year, okay? And kids just love chocolate. Lily loves chocolate. So I decide, just for a joke, you know, that I get a grenade and I cover it with chocolate, you know, and I give it to my three-year-old granddaughter to play with, and she blows herself up. <laughs> right? It's just ugly, isn't it? It's horrible. Do you think God's like that? You know, do you think that God is wired that way? I'm a sinful man. I'd never do that to my granddaughter. The Lord of heaven and earth, God's stingy. No, this is the one who gave his son for you. The one who sent him across the universe to die in your place so you can be forgiven. He is not me. Of course, it doesn't mean there aren't puzzles. Because there are lots of prayers that I pray that I think are in line with the will of God and aren't answered the way I expect them to be. You know, I said I caught up with family yesterday. I've been praying for most of those family members for over 30 years now. God hasn't answered my prayers yet in relation to them. Good prayer? Yeah, I think so. Establish your rule in their hearts. So I've got a puzzle there, a question. But you know what I do? I keep knocking. Keep knocking. I've prayed for people to be healed. I think I mentioned that uh, Steph, one of our return missionaries, she's dying of cancer. I've got her, her prayer notes. Some of you will have during this week. And she's asked that um, now she's come off the treatment, that God will take her quickly. I've prayed for her to be healed since I first heard about the cancer. But I tell you, he hasn't withheld his answer to that prayer based on the fact that he doesn't love either Steph or his family. That is not the answer. Sometime with prayer, it's a timing question. And you think, come on, God, why not now? Why not now? And you know, I know that God's timing is not always the same as mine. Yet it doesn't diminish either his power or his love. So I've got a stack of questions when it comes to prayer. Lots, and I'm sure you do too. God, the sovereign God, all-knowing, the one who loves. I mean, how do my prayers affect anything? Does he need them? No. But he tells me to pray, so I keep praying, keep praying. And then you get to this funny, puzzling, 
Last verse in this section, verse 13. Just look at it with me. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What prayer request is this? You know, uh, is this a prayer to be able to speak in tongues? Some have taken it that way. What does it mean to pray that God will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This prayer is all about a depth of relationship with the Heavenly Father. Knowing your Heavenly Father is Abba. Knowing he's the one who rules heaven and earth and to ask him to establish his name. Knowing he's the one who provides all your daily needs. Knowing he's the one who does the miracle of giving you forgiveness and actually the miracle of helping you to forgive others. He is that God. When you pray for the Holy Spirit, just like we're instructed to here, what you're praying for is that God by his Spirit will lead you to a depth of understanding who he is and his relationship with you. The other night I was uh, taking one of my sons home after a dinner, so a married son, uh, but he needed a lift home. His wife was working. On the way home, he said to me, Dad, he said, I really like it when you drive me home and we have these conversations one-on-one. See? That was a good thing for a father to hear. You know? It was really nice for him to say it. Because uh, I long for depth of relationship with my kids. You pray for the Holy Spirit so that God will fill you with depth of relationship with him. Think he won't answer that prayer? (laughs) I tell you, he will. He will. So let me pray. Let's pray exactly that prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you give us this window into your very character and purposes and heart. And Father, we pray that you'll help us to understand the riches of relationship with you. That you'll give us your Holy Spirit in full measure so that we might know these truths, so that we might have that deep desire that your name be honoured above all names, that you'll establish a rule in the hearts of people around us, that you'll bring the Lord Jesus to return and you'll keep us safe and secure and confident in you until that day that we'll profoundly know the forgiveness of sins, even when we doubt it because of our sin. We doubt your ability just to deal with it. Father, when we have that anger that rises in our heart and difficulty of dealing with relationships because of sin against ourselves, Heavenly Father, we pray that you will be at work in us so that the forgiveness we've received is that which we give. Father, there are things, so many stacks of things we don't understand in this world. We don't understand how it is, your timing, your purposes at every point. When some prayers we call out to you with seem so good to us, and yet in your scheme of things, in your 
purposes, not the right time. Father, in the midst of all that, we pray that we will know you're a father who loves, that you delight in us knocking on the door. That when we ask, you will give. When we seek, we will discover your answers. That you open wide the door into heaven so that we might call upon your name. A father who loves to give good gifts. A father who is generous. Father, we pray you'll just keep shaping our knowledge of your character and purposes more and more. So that as we go on in our discipleship, our walk with you, and we call out Abba, it will be with increasing depth of relationship, knowledge, security, confidence, awareness of your love. Father, grow us, we pray, as people who are dependent upon you and who delight to come to you in prayer, although not nearly as much as you delight to receive us. Father, grow us, we pray, as your people, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.